today on Ag News Daily. All those marketplaces, you know, we're expecting that there will be a little bit of love in the form of increased exports, but no one is buying into that astronomical amount that China says they're going to be purchasing of agricultural commodities. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mike Pearson, co-host of Ag News Daily, joined today as always by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I am pretty good, Mike. How about you? You're getting ready to travel. I think I'm getting ready to travel this afternoon. It is conference season. It is. It's conference and meeting season. Getting out there, meeting growers. You can hear I'm currently at O'Hare Airport. I apologize for the background noise. But I tell you what, Delaney, there's all kinds of things happening in the world of agriculture and in the world beyond it. I did note earlier today before I left the office that stocks were trading again in record territory today. Of course, there is a lot of optimism that we are going to see this phase one deal with China signed here on Wednesday. Timing of that signing is still to be announced, but it seems as though a lot of optimism is growing, at least on Wall Street. We'll see if that optimism holds out over on LaSalle Street here in Chicago. It doesn't seem that optimism is trickling on into Congress, according to Jim Wiesmeyer, who is pro-farmers policy analyst out in Washington, D.C. He said that ag leaders in Congress are making are going to make a push for another round, a third round of market facilitation program payments ahead of next month's USDA Ag Outlook Forum in Washington, D.C. Which, you know. Year, I think we've predicted on this podcast that even though we've been told we're not going to get another payment, more than likely, we'll find a way to make it work. Well, Mike, we were expecting to see Democratic leaders this week be able to vote on that in the Senate. I should say Democratic and GOP leaders expecting to vote on that this week in the Senate. But it does appear that House Democratic leaders are likely going to force another delay by sending over the impeachment trial articles. And of course, as we've talked about before on the podcast, once those articles are formally sent to the Senate, that has to supersede any other Senate business. So the other piece of... Oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say the other piece of that, I guess, that wasn't well publicized last week, but we do know now for sure as well, is the Senate has to also see it voted on in six other committees first before we do see that taken up on the Senate floor. So it doesn't, I don't know, I guess we will see what House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and some of those other folks in the House do, but it doesn't sound optimistic that we'll see it voted on this week. Right. You know, part of the timeline with the Senate Finance Committee referring it to those six other Senate committees um, is that they get to decide whether or not they're going to discuss it. And if any of those six committees do decide to have those discussions, then we could see this thing drag out, not hit the floor of the Senate for three weeks to a month, which could be the case if those impeachment articles get kicked over to the Senate and uh, they do end up having witnesses. So it's, it's a rocky road ahead, Delaney, that's for sure. That is for sure indeed, Mike. You know, it has not been a rocky road for crude oil prices. Had a comment to me on Twitter late last week after we took out uh, Soleimani there in Iraq and we started to see missiles fly from Iran into Iraq 10, 15 years ago. That would have been extremely bullish for oil prices. This year, yeah, there was an uptick, but it quickly moved back down. Why? Well, 
We got a piece of that answer earlier today. Canadian drillers, for example, added the most drilling rigs to their repertoire since 2015 in the month of January. So they are kicking up. Drillers added 118 rigs during the week ending January 10th. So now they've got 203 rigs working up in Canada. I imagine, I don't know for sure, but I would imagine we're seeing similar scenarios play out in the Bakken, in North Dakota, in the Permian Basin, and in the Eagle Ford Shale down there in Texas. So that is a big part of why we're not seeing such bullish response to Middle East tensions in the crude oil market, Delaney. Okay, that was that has been a question, I think, on the minds of many people, myself included, why we didn't see gasoline prices fluctuate a little more. Well, there you go. There's your answer. We're uh, pretty well close to self-sufficient in uh, the crude oil business. Well, that is good news indeed, Mike. I want to switch tracks just a little bit here. Walmart has announced, and I believe we've talked about this on the podcast as well, but Walmart has officially announced and opened a new beef packing facility in southwest Georgia. This facility will employ about 350 people working to supply their Black Angus beef chain to about 500 different retail stores in the southeast to start and we could see it grow even further to become you know into midwestern stores and to maybe some western walmart locations as well uh, they are sourcing that cattle from 44 farms which is a texas-based angus seed stock operation we've gotten to talk to folks from there And we've also gotten to chat about MC6 cattle feeders out of Hereford, Texas, which I believe we had them on the podcast back in, I want to say, April. But uh, just interesting to see that they are becoming now kind of an integrator, a wholesaler, and a retailer all in one stop. Absolutely, it is. You know, they're trying to capture margins at all levels of the game and that's kind of a walmart story from the get-go so not terribly surprising will be interesting though to see how this performs once they get her up and running and, and really start to see the rollout proceed it's interesting delaney that you mentioned meat packing plants we've talked a lot about the retail price of meat in china over the past year as uh, AF african swine fever has decimated their hog herd we haven't talked a lot about meat prices in brazil but Brazilian meat prices, both pork and beef, really, in Brazil is the big one, have been skyrocketing this past year as more and more Brazilian meat gets exported into China. In fact, the government came out earlier today and said that inflation was up more than their government targets specifically because meat prices have climbed so quickly over the past year. Now, this has inspired a lot of beef producers and processors down in Brazil to reevaluate their supply chain and look for ways to capitalize on this premium. And Brazilian meatpacker JBS, which, of course, is uh, no stranger to the spotlight over the past year and a half, announced they are opening a new beef plant in the state of Mato Grosso, specifically to target domestic beef. None of the beef produced in this plant, at least initially, is going to be earmarked for the export market. All of it will be domestic. They're spending $17.1 million, and this is their 37th facility in Brazil, which is mind-blowing to me. Wow, 37? 37th. It's not going to be a huge plant to start. They're targeting about 500 head of cattle as the uh, as the daily uh, slaughter pace, but um, you know, definitely they're bringing more online. Wow. That is, uh, could be 
a little concerning for U.S. beef. Well, well, it could be, but we're probably not going to see a whole lot of that leave the country. And, you know, That's we're not true. huge suppliers into the Brazilian market as it stands, uh, but it should provide, you know, certainly more meat on the store shelves down there in Brazil, which it sounds like the Brazilian people would appreciate. That is true. Mike, one of our other trading partners besides Brazil, although Brazil isn't a huge trading partner for us yet, has been the EU. We are seeing the U.S. continue to threaten the, especially in France with their French wine and cheeses and Italy as well with new tariffs in response to the latest digital tax put on by France, which is aimed at Google, Facebook, and other giant tech companies. But we will see this be a main priority this week when the EU Trade Commissioner Phil Hogan is meeting with Lighthizer in Washington, D.C. So not only do we have U.S.-Chinese trade negotiations hopefully finalized this week, but we've also got the EU meeting with us as well. All right. Lots of discussions there ongoing with regard to tech. Delaney, I am all out of news. Do you have any other stories that need to be brought to our attention? It's not really a story, but it's it's nice here, I think, at the beginning or towards the beginning of 2020. Looking back, looking back at 2019, we uh, saw a really nice story put together this week by AgWeb looking at 2019 losses from really three major river flooding events and just total weather events that happened in 2019. They were, it, it goes on record as one of the wettest and costliest years because of weather, which I think comes as no surprise to folks. But according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, there were basically 14 major weather disasters with losses that exceed or exceeded more than a billion dollars. They said, the NOAA said specifically from the Arkansas, Missouri, and Mississippi River floods alone, we saw $20 billion from that disaster happen and so you know 2019 costly year for producers i've heard from just so many people and we've talked about it before too that gosh this past year was just one of the worst years weather-wise that agriculture has really ever seen in quite some time absolutely it seemed like no one was spared in 2019 so here's to hoping 2020 gets a little bit better for our producers across the country and throughout Canada. Delaney, I tell you what, I've got to go board my flights. I'm going to leave the markets in your very capable hands. All right, Mike, we'll travel safe, folks. We are going to take a look at today's commodity markets, sponsored by agmarket.net. They've got a great conference coming up here at the beginning of February in Council Bluffs. You can check it out on their website agmarket.net to find out more information but there'll be a lot of great folks speaking at that conference as well as the agmarket.net team all right well taking a look across the board we are seeing some mixed trading today going on in the grain markets kicking it off here with the march corn contract closed up three and a quarter cent today to close at 389 even the december up a penny and a quarter to close at 404 even in the soybean pits, there was weakness today in the soy complex with the January contract cutting five cents to close at 9.30 even. The November shed five cents as well to close at 9.69 and three quarters. In the wheat pit, the weakness continues with the March contract shedding a penny and a half to close at 5.63. The December down a half a cent today to close at 5.81 and a fourth. 
Hopping over to check out the livestock markets today, the weakness continues into the livestock complex. The February live cattle contract shed 87.5 cents today to close at 126.55. The April cut 42.5 cents to close at 127.52 and a half. In the feeder cattle pits, the January contract was down $1.57 on the day to close at 146, while the March shed $1.60 to close at 145.85. In the lean hog complex, the February lean hog contract closed $1.35 lower, then at 65.90. The April cut 75 cents to close at 73.37 and a half. And wrapping up our markets today, we've got to take a look at the Class 3 milk futures. The January contract shed 4 cents to close at 16.99, while the February dropped 7 cents today to close at 16.91. Without further ado, let's kick it over to my conversation with Naomi Bloom for today's Hashtag Market Monday. Well, as promised for today's Hashtag Market Monday conversation, I am joined by none other than Naomi Bloom, who is a senior market analyst for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thanks for joining today. How you doing? Oh, doing great, Delaney. Thank you so much for having me. Naomi, I want to talk about today's, I'm going to call it a hangover effect. I'm not sure if it is one for Friday's WASD report, but I know you had some interesting things to share on Friday when that came out. What was your synopsis of it, and are we seeing a hangover effect from that today? Yeah, we are definitely seeing something very much like that. It sure feels like that. Um, The USDA report, of course, on Friday came out more negative um, versus expectations, with the USDA raising yield that kind of felt like a slap in the face to a lot of people and not any big tweaks to demand or the ending stock. So um, the marketplace could have really sold off if it wanted to with that news that we had. But instead, um, prices hung in there. So it's like living to see a few more days. And uh, with, I think, the USDA saying right away that they're going to resurvey farmers again in the spring, that kind of let people say, all right, we're not totally buying this um, yield scenario, that there might be some tweaks to it down the road. So I think that's also part of the reason why the marketplace hung in there as well as it did. Um, And then now, of course, Wednesday this week, the market is waiting to see in print what China is actually going to be buying in terms of agricultural commodities. If we can see what we are hoping for in terms of the bigger purchases than expected, the market has a lot of room to run higher because it's not fully priced in the marketplace yet. But if things come in not as good as what we're even kind of hoping for, I would really be concerned about some potential downside, especially because we're going to be stuck with these uh, numbers from the USDA for a few months. Naomi, I want to unpack that a little bit further, though. You said that there are there's the potential for markets to run higher once we get this the ink signed and dotted, so to speak, on Wednesday. What markets specifically could we see it run higher in, or is it just all commodities will benefit from this? Yeah, specifically, I would say um, corn and soybeans, um, potentially even the wheat, and um, hogs and cattle. So for for the all those marketplaces, you know, we're expecting that there will be a little bit of love in the form of 
increased exports, but no one is buying into that astronomical amount that China says that they're going to be purchasing of agricultural commodities. So if those numbers actually were to come to fruition, um, it's not priced into the marketplace yet. So um, it's it's kind of a, um, a a big expectation or a big hope, and I think most people are going to say it's not going to happen. There's no way in heck. But if beans could ever get through the resistance levels, the upside could be an additional 50 to 75 cents higher. Um, if corn could get through the $4 resistance area or the 405 resistance area on the March charts, uh, the upside is another 30 to 40 cents. But again, the only way that happens is if we see on Inc. the big numbers that Trump is saying is going to be out there. Yeah, and I want to put a scenario in front of you because I've heard mixed signals about whether or not we will see the specifics of this 40 to $50 billion ag product. So let's say we do get a trade deal signed, but they don't release the specific commodities that will be part of that package deal. Does that still give us the potential to run up that much in corn and soybeans? Nope. Then we go lower because the trade needs to see on Inc. that the deal is going to get done in the fashion that it needs to get done. If we don't get any specific information, if we don't um, have any big purchases that show up this week, I, I feel that the path of least resistance is down um, just because of the USDA data that they gave us on the report. Not any you know, big tweaks to production. Soybean ending stocks were um, unmoved from December. Uh, the corn ending stocks were a little bit lower, but not enough to make the market rally in and of itself. So seasonally, the market usually works higher from here, but in this instance, we need uh, the, the news of China do buying because that will give the funds incentive to continue exiting short positions on corn and eventually go long, and then it will give them the same incentive to go long with soybean futures as well. But if we don't see that, uh, that clarity offered this week, you said the path of least resistance is going to be down, unfortunately, for producers. How much downside does that leave open for us? Mm-hmm. So I would say like on March soybean futures, today we finished at nine, uh, about 9.42. So uh, there's a big support line. If, if 9.40 breaks, that's the number we're watching. If that fails, then the downside objective would actually point from this 9.40 area closer to about 9.15. Um, for corn, what it would point to um, would be if the 3.75 support level is broken, then it points to about 3. 65, maybe 360. I don't know that we'd totally fall apart and forever free fall, um, but it just would take any excitement out of the marketplace in the short term, especially with um, not any big weather issues developing in South America and with the traders anticipating that the U.S. farmers will be planting humongous acres again in the spring and they'll assume trendline yields, the market will you know, assume that we will be awash in grain again. So we need this deal on Inc. to come sooner than later and on Wednesday when when the deal is going to get signed. One of the markets that definitely has had a little bit more exciting time trading as of late has been the wheat market. Naomi, when you look at the March contract, we haven't touched 570 yet, but we're nearing that 570 mark. Is that where you're looking at for an area of resistance or is it even further up on the chart? Well, 570 is kind of that number because the high from last summer for the March Chicago wheat futures uh, was at the, about the 573.5 um, area. So the high that we had on Friday last week was 568.5. So essentially this is almost what I would call a double top on a chart. 
and a very big resistance area to get through. If I were a producer, I would be really strongly looking at some some cash sales right now if you are able to do that or locking in some forward contracting because we have rallied for about five and a half months on the wheat market. So um, it's pretty fantastic. What I would be watching in the future, though, is demand for wheat in terms of feed usage. The USDA alluded to that on the report this last week, that demand for wheat for feed is going to get stronger. And here in Wisconsin, uh, what I have heard is that some of the dairy farms in the eastern part of the state are actually using wheat for feed already, when normally they would use corn, but our hay crop was so bad this year that a lot of producers had to chop most of their corn for silage, and so therefore we didn't have actual corn for feed like we normally would, so they are using wheat. So I think that the wheat demand is going to continue to grow um, in terms of being able to um, feed livestock in the corn deficit areas, and that's why you see the basis numbers still so strong. So it's just this tug of war between a cash market that's trying to tell us the crop isn't there versus USDA reports that are kicking the can down the road and how the marketplace is mindful of those two meshing together. So um, a lot of volatility and twists and turns potentially even for the remainder of this week. So hold on to your hats. Be ready for anything. Be ready for anything. I, I think uh, that speaks highly of today's livestock complex. We saw a strength on Friday to finish out the week. Then we open up today with red across the screen. Let's talk the live cattle and feeder cattle specifically here, but why did those two markets fall apart today? Well, a lot of it stemmed from the fact that um, the market wants to see faster um, cash news to develop this week in terms of um, friendly markets. So we just are, are waiting to see that. The, the February futures contract on fat cattle is carrying a premium to cash, so, um, again, wanting to see the cash market and how that plays out this week. Uh, the live cattle charts have been consolidating into kind of more of a sideways trading range. If it can't get any friendly news, again, too, path of least distance would be a little bit lower. Um, and then kind of same with um, feeder cattle. So um, just, you know, maybe a little bit more caution for the short term, as we see where demand is in terms of exports and then domestic demand as well. And Naomi, you said their live cattle are consolidating at these levels, but they've still, I mean, this seems like a pretty high level for them to have been sustained at for so long here. Mm -hmm. It is remarkable. We've essentially been trading sideways for about two months. Um, Usually there should have been a seasonal correction on the cattle markets that should have happened kind of about a month ago. So the fact that it did not happen just really shows how strong demand is right now and um, that our exports actually have been pretty good as we finished out 2019 and going into the new year. The market is also aware of the a bigger placement number coming down the road for the cattle complex. So that's what's kind of keeping it in check as well. So um, I think we'll get more answers this week when we see, again, on paper, if China is buying more cattle um, if they're going to be buying any more um, hogs as far as imports go, and then also keeping an eye on, on, on even the dairy complex because there's hopes that maybe the trade deal will um, spark a little bit of some bullishness for that marketplace as well. And did the lean hog markets, are they just taking maybe a step back this week waiting to see that final trade deal inked? 
Yeah, I think that's absolutely what it is. Um, also, along with the fact that we just have so much supply out there. So that marketplace really does need more exports to deal with the big supply levels that we have. Um, but you are seeing that each contract month has a premium. So like, for example, Feb hogs finish today at 65.90. April hogs have a premium trading at 73.37 and the carry to it, and then the June at 85.47. So the market is anticipating greater demand down the road, but at the same time we need pretty quick news to keep the market price higher because, again, production levels are so huge right now. All right. Well, Naomi, before we let you go, remind us how folks can get a hold of you or find you on social media. Yeah, if you want to find me on Twitter, my handle is at Naomi Bloom, and that's B-L-O-H-M. And then uh, you're always welcome to call at Total Farm Marketing, numbers 800-334-9779. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Naomi, for joining us today to break down the markets. Yeah, thanks for having me, and we'll see you Friday. Well, again, a big thank you there to Naomi for breaking down the markets. And again, another thank you to agmarket.net, who is, of course, our Market Monday sponsors. Folks, I want to reiterate for you all one more time. Do be sure to check out the agmarket.net website to get more information about the upcoming conference going on in Council Bluffs at the beginning of February. Unfortunately, Mike and I won't be able to be there. We really wanted to. We tried to. Our schedules just didn't quite mesh this year, but there is going to be a ton of great stuff going on at the conference. It looks like they've got a great lineup of speakers and information that's going to be at that conference, so do check that out. While you're online looking that up, you can also catch up with Global Ag Network and Ag News Daily on our website, globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily, Or check us out on any of the three major social media platforms on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, I'm going to let you all go and we'll see you here tomorrow for another Hashtag Tech Tuesday episode.